What's going on, everybody? It's your boy V, and I know it's been a while, but Talk Your Truth is back. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate y'all tuning in and supporting. Um, I actually just, just wanted to talk about a few things, man. I actually just finished tonight, actually, You on Netflix. And after finishing it, if y'all watch the show, if y'all know anything about the show, you know it was a lot. It was a roller coaster. It was up and down, side to side sometimes. But I just wanted to talk about a few things that really just stood out to me um, and just delve a little bit deeper into what I thought about the show. Obviously, you got some surface things that a lot of people just focused on. But as you know here, Talk Your Truth, we, we get a little deep. So I just want to give you all the brief description. This is like per Netflix. You, if y'all haven't heard of it, is um, it's obsessed with an inspiring writer. A charming bookstore manager goes to the extreme measures to insert himself into her life. I mean, the Google description is, what what would you do for love? For a brilliant male bookstore manager who crosses paths with an aspiring female rapper, this question is put to the test. A charming yet awkward crush becomes something even more sinister when the writer becomes the manager's obsession. Using social media and the internet, he uses every tool at his disposal to become close to her, even going as far as to remove any obstacle, including people, that stands in his way of getting to her. No spoilers right now, but I just want to go ahead and just talk about it. You was a phenomenal show, in my opinion. It was great. It hit on so many different it hits it on so many different levels. It hit on so many different things, so many different ways that we could go about thinking about a relationship and where a relationship actually could take you and, and what could happen. Um, like I said, no no spoilers, so I don't really want to give away too much, especially the ending. Um, but I think it was just a it was it was a great great. Netflix series. I, I can't wait for the for the next series. I think that the dynamic between the main characters, Guinevere Beck, who is the aspiring um, author, and then Joe Goldberg, who is the bookstore owner, was phenomenal. The development of their relationship, the development of their story together, as well as individuals, it was just it was like a layered cake, and 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 the more layers that you got through or, or consumed by watching the more enamored at least for me I became with the show the more I felt as if I was on one character side or I felt I was get against another character at one point and then I flipped um, there were there was just a lot of aspects about you that I think very much so play into like normal everyday life to be honest um, so for Beck Guinevere Beck she was a aspiring author a MFA student at New York University. Um, she was an aspiring author. She was struggling to find her voice, struggling to find her tone and um, keep her motivation in being the artist that she was, which I myself, I know it's been a lot, I've, I've haven't recorded in a while. So I myself, you guys who are listening, who have listened before, you've realized that on what's on the, what's on the receiving end of that. So I completely understood back when she was going through like her dry spells, so to speak, where you lack motivation or you lack direction and you don't really know 
what to really do with the craft that you're trying to hone, nor do you really know how to hone it or if it's worth honing. So I completely could relate to Beck at certain points in the show. Um, but as far as like what does she represent, I think for the sake of the show, she represented a, a, a plethora of things. And that's why I mentioned the um, the layer cake. What she meant, what she represented, what Beck represented was an individual who was on a journey of self-discovery with a few blurred out objects or obstacles in her way. People, scenarios, relationships, lack of relationships, um, family, This just 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 a wide array of things that were holding her from reaching her promise and continuing towards her goal, and continue to immerse herself into the author that she she would become. Um, anything from her childhood to her personal life to her friendships to situationships and the, quite frankly, messed up situations that she got herself in. But some of them just presented themselves to her to where it was just unavoidable. Um, aspects of her character, like I said, she was she was she, she full of promises. This is the individual. This is the person that you may know that you may possibly be yourself that has full of promise that you that you believe in or that you are the person that you know can do great things. The person that you know has the potential to be you know, on Broadway, so to speak, to be in the limelight, to be able to handle that, to be able to be to the one that, you know, the friend, associate, person in your office, person at work, personal, you know, person at your gym, anybody that you've met where, you know, they just have a glow over them, a, a promise. That is what Beck was. That is what Beck's character was presented as to me. She was a person that was meant for great things throughout the show. I mean, from the very first episode, you knew, okay, once Beck gets it, there are no obstacles that could stop her. Nothing could stop Beck. Absolutely nothing. When she put her mouth, when she put her mind to it, nose to the grind, strapped up those boots and got to getting it, there was no way Beck was about to lose. Um, then we have the opposite side, Joe, Joe Goldberg. And if anybody's watched the show and they didn't like Joe, then I understand. I don't want to say that I don't understand. I don't empathize. I don't sympathize with you, but Joe was a mixed bag, man. Joe was definitely a mixed bag. If you couldn't tell based off the description that I read about the show, Joe is a very interesting and, in my opinion, misunderstood and misguided individual. And as we delve deeper into this, I want I, you'll you'll understand why I use those adjectives opposed to sociopathic, psychopathic, just. Narc, narc, I mean, certain like to a certain degree, like narcissism. Like you'll understand why I did not use those um, adjectives. The further, um, further along we we talk about this, guys. Um, 
I mean, it, to save just just to I guess just to drop a little 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 drop in the bucket for you guys. How I would categorize Joe is there's a thin line between being Prince Charming and being the monster of the same story. So we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, the biggest thing for me, to be completely honest, is actually the social dynamic of the show. It takes place in modern day um, New York City, you know, bookstore, literature. Beck is a college student. You have various characters that vi- that visit the bookstore, all different ages. And Joe has really found his sanctuary. He's really found his peace within the bookstore. That is that is his um his sanctuary. That is his place, his special place. Um, Joe is a loner. He's quiet. Reserved, calculated, analytical, ex- ex- extremely, almost excessively observant. And there's like a a moment, a few moments actually, but there's a moment that can that, that reoccurs in the show where it's almost like a sense of non-presence or hyper-presence to where... Joe mentally is so aware or so present in a situation from his own perspective that it clouds his own judgment. Or he is not present. And the reason why I say maybe not present is because there are certain times throughout the show where he does not understand what is going on. But it also flips to the hyper-present because he's only paying attention to his own perspective, which I think speaks to how we are with our own relationships. I've done it. I don't know about you, but I have. Where I've been on the phone, I've been talking to someone face-to-face, and I'm listening to respond, not listening to understand. It could be in a group setting. It could be a one-on-one setting. It could be a relationship. It could be a, a family event and I'm listening to give my opinion on something I'm not listening to empathize or understand the situation or what is what the, what the information is that's being presented to me that's how I saw it now a lot of people may have seen it another way because of other aspects of Joe's character but what I saw is how some people and I can only speak to myself may not be as present in a certain situation we talk about this there are gifts made about it. There are memes made about it. I know there's one that's like super viral where people like texting, but what they're saying does not match their inner emotions, does not match. It's like, oh my God, I'm rolling on the floor. I can't. But the person's facial expression is completely blank. Or that moment when you're in a conversation, you're speaking to someone else, or you're on the phone. Say you're on the phone. And all your responses are, yeah, that's crazy. Dang. Wow. Word? Okay. Cool. What do you think about that? I don't even know. I I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I couldn't tell you because I wasn't listening. 
<laughs> I'm just going to be real. Like, I couldn't tell you because I wasn't listening. I couldn't tell you because I wasn't paying attention. Like, just, sorry. <laughs> I mean, we're all guilty of that at one point in time or another, no matter who it has been done to or the lack of attention that we have given to somebody. I'm not ashamed to say I've done it. I don't know about you, but I definitely have. Um but as far as like the social dynamics, so that's what Joe represents. He's he's a loner. He's he's and I don't want to say a loner in the independent sense. He's a loner in because he that's that's just what he chooses to do. And I completely understand that. Um, I myself, I I'm, I do this. I'm also a photographer. I'm extremely outgoing, but I'm an ambivert. I think that's the term for someone who has qualities of an introvert as well as an extrovert. I completely concur with with Joe when it comes to wanting to be on your own, not really have too much activity around you, maybe not have too many friends, one or two here or there. You have quality, good relationships and friendships with individuals, but you also enjoy your solitude, which everyone deserves that. Um, but on the other side, Beck is a member of a girl, a girl group, a girlfriend group. Um, and this is not gender specific because there can be dudes on the completely opposite side. There can be a woman who's a loner and then men in a girl in a, in a guy group. But, um, for the sake of the show, it was Beck, Lynn, Anika and Peach who were all friends who have all been friends for a very long time. And Beck obviously is the main character opposite that of joe peach is like the friend that always has your back but sometimes you may be oblivious oblivious excuse me as to why they have your back as much as they do that they are very much so committed to you your future and them being there with you during your successes as well as your failures. So a pretty much a ride or die. Somebody who's there for the ups and the downs. Somebody who is that you want in your corner. You know, somebody, somebody else that you want on your team, so to speak. That's what Peach was. But it's almost from the outside looking in, it might be a little bit extra. A little bit dialed up. Some people who may occupy this role in their friend groups may be dialed up to about like a seven or eight. Sometimes a 10, depending on the situation, but more times than not, probably about a seven or eight. Peach is dialed up to an 11, but dials back down to like a nine. But for the sake of her dynamic with Beck, it made complete sense because Beck was trying to find herself. Peach loved Beck. They were best friends, friends for the longest. It makes sense for Peach to be there for Beck and for Beck to be there for Peach. They shared everything together. Very close friendship. Anika, who, um, in my opinion, was actually the favorite of the four. Um, Anika was uh, the body, the body posi, which is short for body, 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 body positive. Excuse me. I can't even talk right now. Body positive. Instagram, 4 million plus followers, embrace yourself. That's what was on the surface. She was very much so an independent thinker. 
she loved Beck, but at the same time, she knew how the friend group really was set up. Um, then you had Lynn. Now, they didn't flesh out Lynn too much. She showed up here or there sporadically. It usually was in a group form. Um, throughout the show, you saw Peach individually, like separate from that of the group. You saw Anika, and obviously see Beck with being um, one of the main characters. But there was no love for Lynn. Like it was, it was some, but not much. And I think it could have been a little bit fleshed out, a little bit more. Um, this is, I mean, I knew, I knew what Anika was about. I knew what Beck was about, obviously, and I knew what Peach was about. It would have helped me, as an audience member, to find out what Lynn was about a little bit opposed to just being like the fourth person but I digress so just the social aspect about that or the social dynamic between that is when one person is interested in another person they occupy one of those one of these two we're going to just focus on person who's who has a group of friends that they normally you know commune with normally hang out with normally spend time with normally go out with no normally do common practices with and then a loner so we're not even going to put Joe and Beck in those. We're just we're just going to go with that. When that happens, obviously they occupy two different spaces. And what I mean by that is someone who is a type A personality and a type B personality. Type A's and type A's may occupy the same space, but they might not cooperate nor cohabitate with one another. In this instance, you have the outgoing individual versus the very much so introverted individual. The social butterfly versus the social outcast or the, the, the person who is more socially awkward or, or judged to be more socially awkward um, in certain forums. Those two types of individuals, like that's what, that's what I mean by they occupy very different spaces. Um, Beck was very much so a part of this friend group. Joe, just a loner. He's good by himself. The reason why I bring that up is because when it comes to another point, which I actually have, is relationship dynamics. So this is a social dynamic with the loner or the um, introvert versus that of the social butterfly and the the extrovert. Unless there's a commonality between the two, which there is, you find that out throughout the show. It's hard for those worlds to co- to, to coexist. It's almost like they have to clash in certain certain aspects. And the only and the best example of this would be Peach and how she spoke of and to Joe. That's with a little bit of a little hint of classism as well, but it. It's very relevant to society, you know. Let's just—I'm just going to delve deep into Peach and Joe for a second. Just leave back to the to the sideline right now. So Peach grew up in a very affluent family. Joe, rough upbringing. Uh, dad was strung out and a drunk. Mom, pretty much was. She was there, but she wasn't present, nor was she um, protective of Joe. Joe hopped around from group home to group home, 
ended up with another character in the show actually being mentored by him and then eventually owning the bookstore. Drastically different worlds. When Beck first met Joe and started to like him, Peach deemed him unworthy. Classic Romeo and Juliet type of thing, or um, maybe not classic Romeo and Juliet, but Rose and Leo. Gosh, I forget his name. Uh, From the Titanic. Drastically different. Leo's downstairs playing cards, you know, hustling, pickpocketing people and everything like that. Meanwhile, Rose is just living the lap living in the lap of luxury. They're they're totally different worlds. Totally different worlds. So that's what I see when it comes to Beck and her having a friend like Peach, someone who knows the finer things and wants to disassociate themselves from the struggles of someone else, the fact that they aren't on the same level financially, and they use their financial standing as an understanding or misunderstanding of someone else. They use their financial standing as an understanding or a misunderstanding of someone else. And the reason the reason why I say that is because, because they have so much money. They're used to being around a particular type and class of people. Those that they are not used to, they deem less than themselves because it is not the normal type of person that they are used to. It's not their normal. So that's Peach in a nutshell. Um, Anika is pretty cool, like I said, and then Lynn was was a dope character as well. The reason why I mentioned social dynamic and then followed up with relationship dynamic is for this case and just in the show, and then I'll expound upon that a little later on the for the vice versa of this girlfriends versus new boyfriend. For any fellas listening to this right now, When you get into a relationship, or actually, you know what? I take that back. I retract my statement. For anyone who has been the loner or the individual that would have less friends than the social butterfly in this in this case, meeting the, the group or knowing that your significant other or whom you are actually interested in has a plethora of friends, that's huge. That's big. And it's super intimidating. I only say it's intimidating. I'm just going to, you know, talk about myself for a little while. My girlfriend in college, she was a social butterfly, very chill, very, very beautiful, inside and out, wonderful girl. I kept to myself a lot. I had a few friends. I liked to talk, so I was able to, you know, make friends very easily. But more times than not, I found myself with either just my roommate at the time or until I got my own spot and my headphones. That was pretty much it. I would hang out with a few people, maybe for a few hours and then just go back to my own little spot, study, read, watch TV, possibly even go get food, which I would no shame at all. Explore DC, 
by my damn self. So when I met her, it's not like she had a boatload of friends, but she knew people. People knew her. And in the beginning, it was like, whoa, you kind of know a lot of people. How do you know them? How do you know them? How do you know them? But I came to terms with it because that is the type that you have to you have to know your audience, know your know your know your person, which is what my homie Emmanuel actually told me in college. You got to know your audience, um, KYA or KYP, like know your personnel. So I knew at the time that was an aspect of her character, aspect of her personality that I may not have had. Not to the same degree, at least. So it's it's intimidating for someone to be on their own or be used to, you know, not as much activity to come into contact and also be interested in someone who has more activity, who usually has two or three people around them. Not saying that my girlfriend during college had about two or three people around her because she didn't, but she did know people when we went places. So it it just takes an adjustment period, but that's a very intimidating. And I can just let you know, just from my experience, not using my example from um, college, but just throughout life, meeting a significant others or very close friends, friend group, when they are social butterflies is one of the worst things ever socially when it's not who you are. And I say that because I got disinterested. I felt claustrophobic. I felt judged. I felt as if everyone was looking at me as if I didn't belong. It was just like, what, why, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Letting the looks affect me from someone that I cared about and not from them, but people who were associated with them. So it sucks. You know, it really, really does suck because... If you're introduced to a a whole bunch of people, say you got invited to a bar and you got invited to a bar by your best friend, best friend invites you, you're like, okay, I'm just going to come have a good conversation with my friend. We're going to have one or two beers, one or two cocktails, one or two whiskeys, whatever your drink of choice is. Have some good conversation. We're going to go. But when you get there, it's like four or five people, four people, including whom invite you? Whom invited you? This is awkward now. Because even though you may have been may have been privy to who they were prior to, you know, in conversation they mentioned a friend or what their friends did at this event, whatnot, but you weren't ready for it. Now you're feeling awkward. Now you're looking around. If you got a watch, you look at your watch. If you look at your phone, you check your timeline, you check your Instagram. You want to seem like you're socially engaged, even though you know which you wish to God that you were at home in a Snuggie, up under a blanket, watching some Netflix, watching some Hulu, reading a good book, soaking your feet. I don't know what you want to do. Getting some C, getting some Z's. You don't have nap time no more. We don't have that luxury as adults. 
Where'd that go? Kindergarten just fooled us. But catch up on your Z's. Catch up on your sleep. That's what you could be doing. You don't want to be in this person's face. You don't want to be entertaining these people. But you're doing it. Because you care about that individual. And that and that's that's one of the sacrifices that you do for people that you care about, for people that you love. That you may have a certain amount of love. You might not be in love with them, but you have love for them. So you're just like, all right, cool, I can do this. Just for a little bit, then I'm gonna head out. That's respectable. That's exactly what what Joe does. Just to level 10, 11, 12. Because he overreacts in a lot of different areas. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pause on that. We're gonna come back to it. But what I wanted to speak about was what I saw throughout this show. Also, was a underlying. It was very subtle until like the last two episodes, and slightly there was some flashbacks throughout the show that kind of um gave you like a little little peephole into the into why this came to be or why this way of thought came to be. But and what Joe actually does and um what was alluded to throughout the show was that of the very thin line between <clears throat> someone having a mental illness and being madly in love with someone else. Um but the, the first part of that with like speaking about mental illness, what I saw was what's called Stock, Stockholm Syndrome and what it is. So Stockholm Syndrome, most people don't know what it is. Uh, this comes from Brit, Britain, Britannica, B-R-I-T-A-N-N-I-C-A dot com about Stockholm Syndrome. Um, it's a psychological response wherein a captive begins to identify closely with his or her captors as well as their agendas and demands. So no spoilers, like I said, but there are a few instances where Joe himself or people that Joe comes across and as well as um, the other characters in the show come across where they start to take on the characteristics of their captor who is literally just taking them and put them, putting them in a, putting them in a space. And then the, the cat, the captive starts to identify with their captor. They start to empathize with them. They start to build a relationship and a friendship with them that, that completely supersedes the fear and the frustration and the anger and the, the confusion and the betrayal that they initially felt when they were, um, made captive. So I saw examples of Stockholm syndrome and like I said, no spoilers, but Joe himself dealt with it early on in his life. Very angry and brash. I mean, a normal reaction. I mean, if anybody's put into a, a cage, if anybody's put into a cell or locked into a basement by somebody, these are normal emotional reactions that you and I would have. I mean, no one, to my knowledge, feels like, oh, yeah, that would be a wonderful thing. Let me just go ahead and get locked up in a basement. So that just doesn't make sense. So for days on end, you know. So I, I, I saw some, like I said, I saw some little 
tidbits, some little subtle hints towards Stockholm Syndrome and how people actually have to deal with that in their normal day-to-day lives. And Stockholm Syndrome doesn't just have to be, you know, for for captors or mental illness, rather. You have people who are in abusive relationships, verbally, physically, or emotionally um, abusive relationships. But there is something about the person that they are in that relationship with that continues to keep them there. You know, there can be those glimpses or flashes of somebody showing the person that they used to be prior to this relationship getting to this highly volatile and violent area of your relationship and point in your relationship. And that's what saves or allows that person who is the being is it is being abused to stay out of hope or a semblance of what was or who was prior to this person becoming the violent individual that they are outwardly being. So I saw that throughout the show where Joe suffered himself from Stockholm syndrome and, and mental illness. Um, Cause there were things that would just go over Joe's head or Joe's thought process, excuse me, thought Joe's, thought process was so different from everyone else's. It wasn't as if he had a mental illness himself. It was just that certain things were not landing as they would with other people. But Joe had a completely different perspective. He had a different, completely different um, thought process. And with Beck, she, she herself was, was a little bit of a victim of, um, I would say obliviousness especially with one of her friends in the show. One of the friends is just highly obsessive over Beck and Beck had been friends with this person for years and completely, it was, it was like, it was completely, it was like a lie when she first heard it, that this person was highly obsessed with her and that she didn't want to believe it. I understand that's somebody's friend, but we choose to overlook things that may be alarming with those that we care about Versus that of like a stranger or somebody that we're still getting to know. So with Joe, I definitely saw some hints and and tidbits and just very brief instances where Stockholm Syndrome was presented as well as with Joe in his youth, as well as Joe in his, in, in his adulthood, where we actually meet Joe throughout the show. Um, then the... The next point was there's a kid in the show named Paco and he is raised around that abusive type of relationship that I just pointed out that I just depicted where someone is angry. They could be drunk. They could be on drugs going off and physically abusive against somebody else in the show. This isn't really a spoiler because it happens in the first like one or two episodes. Paco's mom is with, a drunk. They argue all the time. Paco stays out of it, but it's a highly volatile situation. And throughout the story, throughout the plot, throughout the show, we see growth within Paco in areas that happen to a lot of children who are exposed to frustration, anger, and violence in the home. And they resort to that. So that's like what they feel as if 
should happen or how you deal with your issues because they're so enraged, they're so frustrated that that's the first place, that's the first emotional place I can go to. And I cannot disagree with somebody who feels that way. There are ways that you can handle that. It's a better way to handle that. But for Paco's sake, once you watch the show, you'll completely understand as to what, I, what I'm talking about. I'm glad that nothing happened with him. But switching to the second part of what I just said about mental illness and relationship dynamics and the thin line between mental illness and like obsession when it comes to love or not mental illness, but being overly obsessive and like at that line to where like you are very much so immersed in the love that you have for somebody else. I believe that there is a thin line between loving someone and doing anything for someone. Sometimes those lines are extremely blurred. And the reason why I say that is because there are things that you would do for your family, for your best friend, for people who have always had your back, for people who have been there for you, people who have supported you, people who have helped pull you up from a low place. That may be unthinkable or unspeakable in defense of that person. But that's out of love. You can love somebody and do unthinkable and unspeakable things frowned upon acts so in this show i truly feel as if showed that showed that to its entirety as to what one would do and the links that someone would go to for love i mean i love the song by meatloaf do anything for love but i won't do that and that song meatloaf depicts all these different things different situations <laughs> But what he will not do for love. He's a very clear line. That's a part of the chorus. It's a phenomenal song. It's really, really funny to listen to. But he he's very clear. Um, I want to actually read some lyrics from What You Won't Do For Love by Bobby Caldwell. It's a great song. I play it like maybe by once every two weeks in my car. It's just a really good song. Bobby Caldwell is a great artist. Um in the chorus is what you won't do to do for love. You tried everything, but you don't give up. In my world, only you make me do for love what I would not do. My friends wonder what is wrong with me, but I'm in a daze from your love. You see, I came back to let you know I got a thing for you and I can't let go. Now, that's from Bobby Caldwell. Great, great artist. Phenomenal song. I'm going to read you some lyrics from Tupac, Tupac Shakur. And he actually sampled Bobby Caldwell's song in a song called Do For Love. And this is what he speaks about. I should have seen you as trouble right from the start. Taught me so many lessons, how not to mess with broken hearts. So many questions. When this began, we was the perfect match, perhaps. We had some problems, but we working at it. And now the arguments are getting loud. I want to stay, but I can't help from walking out just a little way. Just take my hand and understand. If you could see, I never planned to be a man. It just wasn't me. But now I'm searching for commitment in other arms. I want to shelter you from harm. Don't be alarmed. Your attitude was the cause. You got me stressing. Soon as I open up the door with your jealous questions, like where can I be? Hold on. Excuse me. Like where can I be? You're killing me with your jealousy. Now my ambitions are to be. Now my ambitions to be. I can't breathe, cause as soon as I leave, it's like a trap. 
I hear you calling me to come back. I'm a sucker for love. Now, what Bobby and Tupac actually say in these songs are they are so immersed in love that it's actually causing them to do things, atypical behavior that they normally would not practice. That's why some people say you got to be crazy to be in love. And I truly believe like there is a certain level that one has to reach mentally of selflessness to truly love someone else. Because we as human beings are just selfish by nature. We want the best for ourselves. Case in point, that's just what we want. I mean, if you if you're working hard, you deserve that raise, you deserve that car, you deserve that new house. You you deserve it because of the work that you put in. And for us to be in love with somebody else and actually care about another person to the to to a similar degree as which we hold ourselves to and how much we have for our self-love. You have to be a little what we what most people will consider the first law of the land self-preservation. You have to go against that to be in love to a certain degree. You have to care about that other person. And those songs, Do Anything for Love, Meet Loaf, Do for Love by Tupac, and then What You Won't Do for Love by Bobby Caldwell, they're all in the same vein. And all of them play a significant role. And since I've heard all three of those songs prior to watching this show, it makes complete sense as to why Joe goes to the lengths that he does because he is blinded by his love and he is going about it a completely extreme way. It's it's a way that you shouldn't be going about it. It's not a way that a normal person would be like, okay, yeah. Or like a multitude of people would be like, yeah, I can understand your perspective. Not a lot of people would understand that. The links that he goes to. If anything, they're very alarming it would cause you to want to stay away. But what I'm saying is that there is a thin line between obsessiveness and being and being in love with somebody. Not madly in love with somebody, because badly in love, it's almost you got like a toe on the line. But in this show, as I said in the very beginning, I didn't really see Joe as a bad guy. I didn't see Joe was in a, he was definitely a creep. He was definitely a stalker. He definitely did some things that were just highly out of pocket, but I understood why he was the way that he was. To me, Joe actually represents, like I said in the very beginning, the thin line between the monster in a movie or a television show. Not the literal monster, like the physical representation of a monster, but what a monster entails. To he, he represents that, but he also represents Mr. Perfect, Prince Charming, the attentive guy, the loving guy, the nurturing guy, the nice guy with the bad boy twist, or the bad boy with the good boy twist, the bad guy with the nice guy on the inside. He, he he represents those things. He's a guy that cares about Beck's future. 
as much as Beck does and at certain points cares more about Beck's future than Beck even does. I don't know about you, but I've been around somebody and I've been around people where I have felt as if I cared more about their dreams than they did. I want to support you, but you aren't doing shit compared to how much I want to support you. Like my support is on like level 10 and you are your practice or your consistency is like on level five or six. I don't know if y'all have ever been there, but I have. So that's all I'm saying is like, he has all of those great qualities that I believe that a woman may want in a guy, except for the obsessive nature, except for the, 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 borderline creep and stalker. I mean, he doesn't even, it's not even borderline. Sometimes like he just full blown commits to the other side. So, I mean, Joe is a very layered character. He actually like truth be told, he's my favorite character in the entire show. I really liked Beck. Um, other characters were really good, but Joe was definitely my favorite character because he has so much depth as a character. And as a person, he had so much depth to his character that I felt like I wanted to learn more about him. And that, that was proper execution. I mean, kudos can't applause from me for the show. You, um, if you haven't checked it out, you definitely should. If you have anything, your own thoughts about how I believe that Joe was almost a tragic character in this story, in this story. And he got a bad rep. Yes, he did some bad things, but he got a bad rep. Shoot me an email, um, ltxtyt at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at there's only one on the underscore V, the word there's only, and then the number one underscore V is in Victor. Shoot me an email. We'll just get to talking. I'll, if you shoot me an email, I'll go ahead and read some of them on the air. We can have a discussion. Yeah, I've been V. Y'all have been great. This has been you. Y'all definitely should check it out. This is Talk Your Truth place y'all come to for politics society culture everything in between this is your boy v like i said i appreciate y'all i love y'all i'll be back with some more soon until then y'all be blessed out